1: You're listening to a hundred words or less with Ray Harkins. What's up, all you beautiful podcast humans? Thank you for listening to this podcast as we all are rapidly approaching the end of the year where we hopefully shut down and take some time to ourselves and our family and friends and look at Christmas tree lights and all that other fun stuff. But I take no weeks off except for maybe one week at the end of this month. But you know, that's neither here nor there. I have another incredible conversation for you today, and that is with Kenny Lush. He plays in a band called Rest Easy. He also played in Daggermouth. Vancouver Legend, I would dare say. Vancouver BC, for those of you that are uh, keeping score. But uh, I love Daggermouth. I really enjoyed. I saw them, man, I want to say at least once, probably at Chain Reaction, I want to say, back in the uh, early 10s or whatever you are calling that decade. <laughs> the aughts. I like to say the aughts, but obviously that's, you know. 2000 to 2010 or 2009. I think that's what you call the odds. But anyways, Rest Easy is his new band who are really, really good. They just put out a LP on Mutant League Records that I highly suggest you mess around with. We'll obviously play a little bit of their music if we head into the conversation with Kenny. But uh, he is a real dude. (laughs) When I say a real dude, he's been at it. He has supported this whole DIY music scene for quite some time. And on top of it, he has supported the DIY wrestling scene for many, many years. He wrestled, traveled the world doing professional wrestling. And uh, that was one of the many reasons why I wanted to have him on this podcast, because uh, even though I do not pay attention to wrestling as much as I used to in my, I don't know, I think my sweet spot was probably around... 8 years old to maybe 13 years old. We're talking WrestleMania, just like those pay-per-view events. Oh, my gosh. But um, anyways, I just respect the art of wrestling very much because it's so similar to punk and hardcore as far as the unconventional venues, traveling around the country, you know, promoting shows, all that sort of stuff. So but anyways, like I said, Kenny, new band. Check it out. Rest easy. And we will talk to him in a moment. But let's talk about how you can get in contact with the show. 100 words podcast at gmail.com. I love receiving email. I am pretty punishing when when it comes to email, uh, just because I I try to respond to people pretty quickly. And, uh, you know, we start to develop a a email relationship from that perspective. And sometimes people are just uh, emailing me to say, hey, what's up? I got into the show via this interview. And thank you for doing what you do. Or how about you have this person on? Or you suck at interviewing. I, I fortunately have refused, or not refused, like I can decline emails. I have only received those occasionally, and I can tell those are people who are listening to these conversations and being like, I want it to be like a traditional interview where you ask a question and you, the interviewer, shut up. And I'm like, okay, that's fine. If you want that, there's plenty of places doing that, but... That's neither here nor there. But you can do also do me a favor please leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or leave a rating on the Spotify platform. I know I say that week in and week out, but that is because you, a large majority of listeners of this podcast, do not do that. And I would very much appreciate if you just took 30 seconds out of your day and did that. Helps out the algorithm, helps out the legitimacy of the show. Because, I mean, we all know like everybody needs to seem. Legit, right? And that's one way that I, I I chase chase the legitimacy. Then I can show my child and my wife, like, hey, I got a new review on the podcast. This show is legitimate. It's not just you know appealing to my forty friends. <laughs> but anyways, let's talk to Kenny. Uh, we are getting into all the nitty gritty. That is the Vancouver music scene, and like I said, independent wrestling. It's really really fun. So. That's what we got. Let's talk to Kenny and let's listen to a little bit of his band before we get into the conversation. I mean, I became aware of you via Daggermouth, like, I imagine most people have interacted with you outside of the Vancouver hardcore and punk scene, yeah. and uh, I, it's like mid two thousands is when Daggermouth came, uh, you know, into my ecosystem. And uh, I think at one point too, I I don't recall who in the band I was speaking to, but there I, I used to work for a label called uh, Century Media slash Abacus Recordings, and I know that I was like talking to you guys before you like signed to State of Mind or uh, there was something that was connected to it, but. The point being is that I I felt like there was this really, really interesting scene. I mean, a lot of people like to obviously call it the whole uh, easy core thing. I I don't necessarily like that statement, but (laughs) (laughs) just that that idea that it was like, here are hardcore kids playing pop punk in like a very real way, but not pop punk in the, you know, sort of traditional sense of the term and leaning more into obviously, you know, your kid Dynamites and Lifetimes and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, did you, uh, you know, as Daggermouth started to kind of get out there and either play shows or just see the attention that was uh, paid towards you, did you feel and notice kind of the, for lack of a better term, movement that was kind of building around that particular scene?
2: Man, not really, not at first. Like, um, it, it it was weird when when Daggermouth was started. It was kind of like in the peak of when every Dude in Vancouver had like a white studded belt and swoop hair and uh Stu the other guitar player and me just kind of wanted to start like a fast punk band because that shit was like a thing of the 90s and no one was doing it at all so yeah we we kind of just wanted to do something fast and anything I do ends up trying to like lean it always ends up leaning towards like Dan Yemeni type stuff because you know, I'm such a huge like lifetime, like lifetime good riddance and like lagwagon, I guess, are my like three creative, like I kind of meld those things together and hope that my music kind of sounds like that. And uh yeah, but we didn't notice no like easy core type resurgence really until the whole You know, I guess more towards like once Turf Wars came out and like Set Your Goals was like killing it. And then like there was a whole bunch of bands that were coming out that were by that point, like even more crazy. Like it would be like, like, like Chunk No Captain Chunk and stuff. It would be like more like down tuned guitars with like, like weird metal breakdowns and stuff like that. That's kind of when I started noticing like, oh, this thing's we've I've created a monster. (laughs)
1: Right <laughs> and it is true like i I think a lot of it was so fun to watch how different bands experimented with the style where it's like how accelerated can we make our fast parts, and then how over the top can we make our breakdowns and like you saw so many bands you know to varying degrees of success or enjoyment for you know individuals, but just like collectively, it was interesting to watch that, and especially too where it's like I know and I'm sure you have an opinion of the lifetime record that they put out, like their comeback record, the self-titled one where it would just, it kind of sparked a lot of people who hadn't even really engaged with lifetime before to be like, Oh, so this is kind of a different version of pop punk that we can do.
2: Yeah, totally. And I, I really enjoy that lifetime self-titled album. It's, it's, you know, I don't think it's up there. Like it's, it's, if I could only bring one to a to an island, it wouldn't be that one. But if I could bring ten records to an island, it would definitely make it.
1: Right? Yeah. <laughs> totally. Totally. And uh, yeah, no, I did. I. I and, and I think too, in the same way that uh, you know, once the diversification of how people spread their music on the wow. internet. I mean, you know, clearly mid two thousands like the internet existed and people were able to access music much easier than they were in the mid nineties. Yeah. But there was this, there, there was lack of regionality that started to happen where it was, you know, bands could influence each other from thousands of miles apart in ways that it didn't, it wasn't really accessible previously to that.
2: Yeah, for sure. Like, uh, I think the, yeah, the, you know, Shout out to MySpace for uh you know helping all the bands get their word out and their styles out and everything. I think it played a, a big part in, you know, at least, you know, I know with Daggermouth, like booking tours and stuff like that. We used a lot of MySpace and shit like that. And yeah, I think it it was just good for, you know, like yeah, styles getting out. And I I remember like, you know, bands writing the Daggermouth page, like, oh, you're our influ you influenced us. Like, check this out and yeah, it was, it was sweet, you know?
1: Yeah, for sure. And kind of putting the focus on you as a person, you, were you actually born and raised in Vancouver? Or where'd you come up? I couldn't find the sort of simple biographical information on you as a person.
2: Oh, I, uh, yeah, I was born in a town called new Westminster, which used to be the capital of, uh, BC long, long, long time ago in the cowboy days. Um, it's like a suburb of Vancouver and I kind of lived around the uh, Vancouver Island and stuff like that. Um, till I was six and then just kind of suburbs of Vancouver until I was 12. And then I remember when I was, uh, in grade seven, right before the, right before I started high school, my dad, my dad has a very short fuse. He's a great man, but (laughs) patience is not his virtue. And, uh, he got stuck in traffic one day and i guess it happened a few times and he just decided uh he's moving the family up north to so i spent my teenager years in a town called 100 Mile House which is like hillbilly middle of nowhere i grew up on a lake like it's about a 7 hour drive from vancouver to get up there
1: oh wow that's that's pretty rural
2: yeah So, you know, and it was like a weird, you know, weird time, like starting high school all of a sudden up in like this weird town where I had no friends and I was like super outsider and stuff like that. So, you know, I think that played a big part into me getting into punk rock, too. Sure, absolutely. What
1: was your uh, family structure like? Do you have any brothers and sisters?
2: Yeah, I have a sister named Georgia and uh, she's 18 months younger than me. And uh, yeah, she's all into like punk and Argorn. Always supports all the stuff that I do. She's also one of them Turbo Yugen people. I call her a Turbo Juggalo because it annoys her. But uh, yeah, <laughs> but uh, she yeah, she's all into music stuff. My parents are they're still married and you know going to Vegas multiple times a year and everything. <laughs> so yeah, I'm not I'm not from a broken home or anything. Can't complain yeah. about that
1: yeah no that's great yeah well the the, uh, honestly the the turbo negro influence like i i do see the juggalo connection as far as the (laughs) devotion is concerned but it is i mean it it, it is interesting i mean because clearly just the uniform is much cooler than juggalos but uh you know the the principles are still the same where it's like we just like to express ourselves and rock out
2: yeah and it's all about family (laughs) yeah
1: absolutely for sure it's like if you have if you have a jean jacket with the turbo yugen patch on the back you're golden you're good
2: yeah oh for sure you're welcome anywhere
1: (laughs) (laughs) totally (laughs) i i just i also think that that band bridges so many gaps in the way that uh you know i mean juggalos do as well of that idea that like i don't care if you're into punk hardcore glam rock whatever like you are welcome under this big umbrella that uh you know a lot of their bands can't create that big tent
2: yeah for sure i actually played some gathering of the turbo yugen or whatever they call it i played uh uh, because i also play guitar and on that fat records band uh the real mackenzie's and we did a, a august europe tour and i played some like Yugen festival and stuff like that. So it was a good time. They're all super nice people.
1: <laughs> Dude, that's amazing. I love that having an experience where <laughs> you could play in a band that is, you know, not yours as far as like starting it from scratch and then having these wild experiences.
2: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it was kind of a little uh yeah. They they were looking for new members and stuff and kind of around December last year. I got at uh, like I I ran into one of the guitar players because I I'm a bouncer in a bar or was a bouncer actually I still guess I do a little bit since I'm bouncing the L7 concert this Saturday but uh, he was coming in <laughs> sure. and yeah, and uh, I was like hey man I heard you like need some members like or like you know there's kind of like you don't have a stable lineup and I volunteered to like you know hey if you need a guy for one show let me know and uh, one show turned into you know, joining the band. So yeah, I've done a couple tours this year with them. So it's been, it's been nice, especially after the pandemic to be able to get back on the road.
1: Right, right. And I, I do love how punk rock just hits so differently in Europe. And the fact that people's memories are so much longer in the way that, I mean, it, same thing could be said about hardcore over there where bands like Sick of All Agnostic Front can be, you know, playing in front of 100,000 people but like in America they can play in front of 200 if they're lucky.
2: Yeah, like uh we did some festivals with Ignite and they've f- fucking killed it and their new singer is amazing and you know they're all so, it was nice to meet them they're all great dudes. But yeah, they you know they kill it over there and then I I remember a couple years ago they played Vancouver and I I missed the show but I heard it wasn't like super well attended, you know what I mean? But uh yeah, you know yeah, it's just like europe just remembers those bands and you know they they you know they just love music a lot more not that like people in north america don't but like uh it's definitely less trendy you know <laughs> over in europe it's more of a love i guess
1: yeah it, it's it seems like you have to work harder to get known over there and go over so many times but then once you kind of jump over that fence and make it it's like you're welcome with open arms for the next 20 to 25 years
2: <laughs> Yeah. Well, like even that band, the Mackenzies, I'm playing with, like, you know, they're just one of those bands that have been going over, you know, two or three times a year, every year. And like, yeah, people, people just remember them. It's crazy. It's, you know, it, it's awesome.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and so as you started, you know, when you were, like you mentioned uh, living in a, a rural area and having to start over and, try to make friends and all that sort of stuff how had you already kind of tripped across you know punk and hardcore prior to that or was that all you know kind of new as you were uh just trying to
2: figure out your life up there oh 12 year old me thought that uh like during my grade seven year i was like die hard guns and roses because that's kind of right when like use your illusions one and two came out I even remember uh, wearing Doc Martens and and uh, spandex bicycle shorts to school because that's what Axl Rose would wear on stage. Beautiful. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I was uh, I was like a diehard, you know, kind of just GNR kid. I, I didn't even like Nirvana at the time. I thought they were kind of whack when they came out. And, uh, yeah, I, I got into – kind of once I moved up there, I, I got into – in utero i really like that and that album kind of got me nirvana's in utero kind of got me like realizing that there's such thing as an underground and you know because kurt cobain was always pretty good with championing and like you know k records bands and kill your Rockstar bands and just coming from sub pop too you know like I, i bought even before i got into punk music really i remember getting um diary by sunny day real estate just because it was on sub pop and i thought it was a grunge album and uh listening to that i was, I was really stoked and uh i gotta say the band that got me into punk and hardcore was a, a band a bc band called gob and i'm sure you heard of them like I, they, oh yeah yeah and i'm not talking gob the the reno spaz noise metal band or whatever because I know Reno had a band called Gob but uh, there's a pop punk band from Vancouver called Gob and uh, they were played on the I was able to pick up out in the woods the Kamloops radio station and they had like a little indie hour once a week and I would pick that up on my staticky kind of radio in my bedroom and I remember they played Gob and after that next time I was in Vancouver I picked up the Gob album and then straight from there, I would look at the bands they thanked in the liner notes, and then everything just kind of piled in there. And I started going to local shows and the rest is history.
1: Yeah, I I love the way that certain bands hit you at that certain time. And it, it is so interesting, too, because the idea that you always are on that search for the additional layer, like, you know, a lot of people stopped at Nirvana, and they were fine with that. But then, obviously, you know, people like you and I just continue to you know, scratch and crawl and (laughs) find our way to different bands. And I just love when you find when you, especially like you're talking about where you find that one local band where you're able to feel more of a connective touch to it because, you know, yeah, you're tuning into the local radio station or whatever. I just, it it makes it so much more real for you.
2: Yeah, for sure. And then like, you know, you go to a show and you realize like these dudes are approachable. You could talk to them. You could like email them and, they would write back and everything. So yeah, from there, like I was just addicted to like going to every, every summer would hit and I would just tell my parents I'll come back in September. And, you know, they were nice enough to toss me like 250 bucks or something for the summer. And I would just literally couch surf on people's couches or wherever I could and just like live off spaghetti noodles. And, and I would just spend all my money going to all ages shows. Cause you know, it shows back then were. You know, you go to a Friday, Saturday one and they were like five bucks each. Maybe there was like, you know, Lag Wagon and No Use for a Name or Good Rinse and AFI were playing Seattle. You know, you'd fill a car up with some friends, throw 10 bucks in each for gas. And then it was, you know, 12 bucks to see both those bands play the Rock Candy in Seattle or something. So, you know, I would just go to every show I could.
1: Oh, my goodness. You haven't done your shopping yet? Well, let me make your life super easy by giving you the one-stop solution for all of your gift-giving needs and that is rockabilia.com. First and foremost, use the promo code 100 words or less that gets you 10% off your order and the number is 100. You don't have to spell out the whole thing cuz holy moly that would be a long promo code. But anyways, rockabilia.com, they have band merch from so many different artists. I don't care if you're shopping for your mom, your dad, your brother, your sister, your uncle, your aunt, Whoever is interested in music, you are able to dial something in for them. Whether it's like, yo, you like Bob Marley? How about Black Sabbath? What about Led Zeppelin? All of those things you can purchase from rockabilly.com. And it ships from the Midwest, gets to you lickety-split. And then on top of that, you are supporting artists. Because this is all officially licensed stuff. None of this bootleg stuff or bands don't see any of it. And, you know, kind of shady. Let's just be honest. But rockabilly.com. Is your place to go for the holidays. Go onto the website, have fun, use the promo code hundred words or less. It gives you ten percent off your order. And happy holidays. The show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different things that stress us out, right? Like maybe it's something really, really small. Like man, that parking space—it's always taken, and I wish that I would be able to like get it instead of you know this person that maybe you know is the most courteous and considerate. How were your parents reacting to this stuff that they they most likely didn't have a context for? And um, you also, and maybe this is just a sort of outsider a personal judgment against you, but just like you seem like an excitable person where it's like, I imagine once you get into something, you're kind of full throated about it. Uh, were your parents, I guess, concerned about you, you know, <laughs> driving down to Seattle and being like, what is Kenny getting into? This is strange.
2: Uh no I don't th- like they've always been pretty supportive and they knew like I wasn't really having a great time up in Hunter mile house especially in like the school I went to like cuz up there you got to be a uh you know like the hockey jocks kind of ran that school and I also have a short temper so I was I was fighting lots of like a scrapping with the hockey jocks and everything so I think like as long as I was you know happy. I think my parents were stoked for me.
1: <laughs> right. Right. And, uh, did you, I mean, I imagine very much like whatever football here in America, uh, hockey, like you said, it was so pervasive. That's like what kids played all across Canada. And so did you ever play hockey or ever try to get into it? Or was that just like, no, I'm not even, I don't even care about that.
2: No, when I was a like I was a firm, like, like, sports are for jocks like fuck that i would i would never you know I because i was always a bigger kid too so i remember in uh every year in high school they would try to convince me to you know join rugby or something like that and i was just like nope that's lame <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I,
1: I also love that thought process because it, it existed so firmly in the you know 90s that never the twain shall meet like you know if you're into subculture you can't play sports and vice versa and if you did it was like well, this like secret identity where it's like yeah i play basketball and i also go to shows but i'm not gonna talk about it with anybody
2: <laughs> yeah no totally like uh yeah i remember you being like you know thinking like oh that guy has a gym membership that's not punk <laughs> wow dude that's
1: even more extreme i like i like the <laughs> i like the line of like dude if you work out you're a total loser <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, uh, my, my only my only cardio is going in a pit and circle pitting
2: yeah exactly you know stage diving should be your only form of fitness <laughs>
1: <laughs> i love that uh and did you care about school? Like, was there any sort of, um, you know, academics uh, in your life that you were passionate about? Or once you started to get exposed to music and going to shows, that was kind of what you wanted to pursue more than anything else?
2: Yeah, I wasn't a uh, a great student by any means. At one point in uh, my school year. Because me and my sister, like I said, we're only 18 months apart. So at one point, I got suspended from a school. And there wasn't a lot of options up there. So I went to... uh, I I did a year of homeschooling. My parents, like... My mom was like, ah, he can try that. And then this way I could, like... You'll have more time to play guitar and stuff like that at home. And just, you know, whatever tries to make me happy at the time. And so... Needless to say, I didn't do my homework because I'm lazy, and I fell a year behind. So I had to redo grade. I guess it would be grade 11. Okay. And since my sister was so close in age to me, we now were in the same grade. And I've always been like a competitive kind of guy. And so... Once I was in the same grade as my sister, that's when I started trying. So I, I actually cracked the honor roll in, in grade 11 and 12, just because I wanted to like, be like, crush she? it.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. You're like, you you think you're cool. I'll show yeah. you.
2: Yeah. Not, you know, just trying to like upstage my sister. But, you know. Needless to say, uh, you know, she now has numerous degrees from universities and I got nothing. So I have a, uni- <laughs> I have a university in rocking out. That's about it.
1: <laughs> right. You're like, I got a university and, uh, being tall and being able to play guitar. Check it out.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My post-secondary skills consist of, uh, or I, I went, to I took one semester. So three classes in Edmonton at a school. Cause I, I moved out there to hang out like. Because my buddy moved out there. I was like, oh, I'll join you out in Ed- Edmonton. And it, I moved out there in the winter and did one semester and decided that sucked. And came back to Vancouver, enrolled in a- another semester, and then got my student loan and then bought a JCM 800 and uh, guitar with that. Never went to the school and started touring with Daggermouth. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's perfect yeah. and uh what did your parents do for a, a living like was there ever any conception that you were going to you know follow in their footsteps
2: so my mom's uh like a secretary she she finished up her career at uh there's like a little satellite light branch like there's the university in. Camloops, it's called the Thompson Rivers University, but all these small towns have like little satellite branches where you can, you know, c- like do CPR courses and do little things like that. Anyways, my mum ran that kind of the uh, she was the secretary for that, and then my dad is a union iron worker, and I remember from the youngest age he would always come home and say, don't ever do what I do. So I've never, <laughs> I think that's why they've always been so You're like, what? yeah, he's, he's always said like, whatever right. you do? don't, don't become an iron worker. Like, you know, cause he would have to leave for three months at a time working and, you know, just breathe. It sucks now. Cause you could really see the toll it took on him. Like, cause he was doing that shit in the eighties and stuff before they, knew, you know, had a lot of workers comp rules and stuff. and, now he has like a, uh, you know, he coughs all the time. I forget what that, that that's called, but he always has this cough and it's just from breathing in fumes and shit for years. Right.
1: Right. Right. I, yeah, I, I always love that. I, when parents instill that, whatever they are doing from a profession or job, and then they tell their, you know, sons or daughters under no circumstances, are you going to follow me? <laughs> it ends here. <laughs> yeah,
2: totally. And you know, like there's there's some points where, you know, I've I've thought, ah, you know, cause it'd be easy enough to just like toss my dad's name in at the union and get some schooling paid for and stuff. But I don't know. Over the years, like now that I'm like forty-two years old and have done a ton of jobs in my life, I could honestly say like that construction kind of lifestyle, it's not for me. I hate that line of work so much, whether it's like landscaping or you know, welding or, you know, I've done I've renovated bathrooms for a while and stuff like that. And yeah, like it's all good stuff. I'm glad I've learned what I've learned, but I definitely don't want to do that shit for the rest of my life.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah. You're like these these hands are meant for uh, you know, finger picking, okay?
2: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or punching <laughs> someone in a pro wrestling ring, but that's about it. Yeah, that's my I don't know if you're aware. I'm also a pro wrestler.
1: I, yes, that we were, we were definitely going to uh, dive into that as well. And uh, (laughs) no, and honestly, I mean, I'll, I'll bring it up now where the, uh, the intersection, and I'm sure you've been able to connect these dots between, you know, independent wrestling, punk, hardcore DIY, and then also, you know, stand up comedy, like all three of those have pretty much the same ingredients of, you know, touring, um, playing venues that are unconventional and then also just the mental and physical toll it can take on people. Yeah. Um, did you, did you like, as you were starting to experience the, you know, independent uh, wrestling world, were you able to connect the two of just like, Oh, this is exactly the same thing as playing in a band.
2: I didn't figure it out. Like, cause I became a pro wrestler first, like uh, right. before, before Dagger Mouse started. And then so, I did that for a couple of years, but just like locally and around Portland and Washington, and nothing too serious though and at that time, the Indies were like at least out here, the Indies were really, really carny and shitty run and all that stuff, so I didn't really put two and two together, and then um it was definitely after you know once Daggermouth was going, and I was doing all the bookings for that. And when I saw kind of the writing on the wall that Daggermouth was kind of breaking up, I, w- I was like, man, I want to get back into wrestling. And, you know, once you, once you book numerous tours, like DIY tours across North America, like nothing scares you anymore. It's like, Oh yeah, I can go back into wrestling and I can, you know, send out emails and try to tour around, you know, same way as I do with the band. And, you know, so it o- definitely opened up a lot of eyes. Like, yeah, the, the worlds are all the same when you look at it you know what I mean like you know you show up to a, a, a gym to do a pro wrestling match and you know you might only make 50 bucks or 100 bucks but it's like man you gotta man that merch table like that's the one thing I always tell all the young kids getting into pro wrestling now is like fuck figuring out your match like go hang out at the merch table sell some shit that's where you're gonna make all the money right <laughs> it's true and
1: I uh, I mean, I didn't make it. I liked wrestling. I'm the exact same age as you, so I personally followed wrestling in the heyday of the '80s, and you know, I definitely lost touch with it as I, I grew older. But once I started to see the independent, whether it's your, you know, Ring of Honor, and then all the other independent wrestling circuits pop up, I was like, this is exactly the same thing. You're taking again, you know, like you said, a gym, running it out, getting, you know, maybe. 500 people to show up and then you know charge some money at the door and then like you said slinging merch and shaking hands with people that you know may have seen you just you know got hit by a bat or whatever
2: yeah and one thing like because i started running some shows a couple years ago back in uh i don't anymore but back in vancouver and it was weird every promoter here was all about like you'd have to find some community hall or some something like that and i was like I was the first guy to start. Like, why don't we talk to the music venues and the venues that hold concerts? Like, I mean, they have the PA, they have the lights. Like, start doing that. So I kind of started running shows out at out at like the Rickshaw Theater in Vancouver and the Wise Hall in Vancouver, like some music venues. And since then, that seems to be like what every promoter does now. So yeah, it's it's you know, it's you know the. They're so interchangeable, like the two scenes, for sure.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And with that, you know, with you forging a path and and becoming a wrestler, I, I think that the conception of most people that experience wrestling is very much, you know, the huge stage, large WWE events and stuff like that. Um, and, you know, independent wrestling really was this, you know, seedy underbelly for so long. When did you... I guess, find an access point so you could become an independent, you know, wrestler. Like, how did that transpire? I presume you went to go train and everything like that, like, uh, you know, people start to do as they're building up their chops?
2: Yeah, so in uh, in my grade 12 year at school, they uh, they kind of asked, there's a class called career and personal planning. And they were like, you know, they assume every kid at 18 or 17 or 19 should pick a job the minute they're done high school that they should do the rest of their life, which is really stupid. Ben, I had no idea what I wanted to do. So, and at the time I was like really into like WWE raw at the time where it was stone cold, Steve Austin, like the attitude era. So I was just a class clown. I was like, I want to be a pro wrestler. And the teacher laughed and said, Hey, someone has to do it. They got to get wrestlers from somewhere, figure out how to do it. So I started looking around, and I read uh, Mick Foley's book, his first book he put out, and uh, he mentioned, you know, that there's wrestling schools. So I started looking around Vancouver for uh, a local wrestling school, and I contacted a few. Um, The first one was run by a guy called uh, – some some people might remember him if they're into uh, old, old wrestling from the 80s, but his name was the Diamond Timothy Flowers – and I, I contacted him and the first thing he said is like, yep, brother, send me 2500 bucks, and I guarantee in three months you're working for WWF. And I was like, I think even me can read through that. <laughs> right. This sounds like a pay to play show, even though I don't know what that is yet. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, and then there's uh, another guy down here called Michelle Starr who ran um, a wrestling school. And so I, I contacted him and we chatted and hit it off a bit. And I was going to uh, go to his school when once I graduated. And I even helped uh, the company do a few shows in 100 Mile House. And um, so, I, yeah, I graduated. I moved to Vancouver. I did not go to Michelle Star School because it was all the way out in the suburbs. And uh, there was a guy named Rocket Randy Tyler who was opening a school in town with uh, – one of the teachers was actually uh, Doctor Luther, who now wrestles for AEW, and so I was like, I really liked Randy Tyler, and and I liked Doctor Luther because he was going to Japan and stuff at the time, and so I joined their school. It was called the Russell Plex. It was only around for a little bit, but uh, yeah, so I joined joined up there and started learning how to wrestle, and yeah, my first match was oh, late '99 or early 2000 out in uh it would have been early 2000 i think out in uh portland oregon and uh i was wrestling for uh roddy piper was my boss at the time he was the booker of the company
1: wow that's cool that's cool r.i.p roddy
2: yeah he was a he was a really nice dude to anyone who was ever wondering he was uh you know i met i've I've definitely met some bags of shit in the world of pro wrestling but uh roddy piper is not one of them he was a really really nice dude
1: (sighs) that's incredible And uh, with your, the, the approach of, you know, becoming a uh, wrestler, like, you know, that sounds very much like probably even farther of a stretch than a kid being like, oh, I would like to become a firefighter. And, you know, like you said, like you said, your parents were supportive of you. Um, Was, was there ever a notion that just like, well, we know that Kenny is not going to take the conventional road, um, but this is like, you know, this is even farther than we thought he was going to go
2: yeah they never really i don't think they were really too stoked on it i remember my dad came out to the first match i ever did where i bladed which is uh you know if no one knows listening to it it's where you take a razor blade and cut your fucking forehead open that's how you get blood in pro wrestling (laughs) yeah Uh, yeah. Uh, you know a lot of people still think it's like fake blood it's like nah you take a razor blade you slice your head open uh you're just supposed to nick it a little bit, but I was like, you know, all gung ho and young. And so I, I still have this scar that goes right across my forehead. Like it looks like I was attacked by a machete. And, um, I remember sitting in the shower, like waiting for all the blood to run out of my head. And my dad comes into the, he breaks into the dressing room and just says, you better fucking get your life together. And so starts yelling at me in front of all the boys. So, you know, they, they were now, ne- I don't think they were ever too supportive of the pro wrestling until I started going overseas with it. And I remember once, once you start going over to like Europe, or oh, I mean, over to Asia with it, they that's when they they were really proud of me over it.
1: Right. It, it's true when you make something that is seems so far fetched or that they haven't experienced, or you're featured in the local papers, it's like these small moments where all of a sudden it feels real to them so they're like oh hey good job kenny
2: yeah for sure like even even throughout all the i don't i don't even know if my parents have come seeing any of my bands play and uh you know like even throughout the Daggermouth stuff like they're like oh that's cool but you know me playing in the mackenzie's they're like because because they love vegas so much my parents like w- always go to vegas and You know, they know that punk rock bowling festival happens. So they're like, oh, is there a chance you could play punk rock bowling? That'd be the greatest. We'd come down for that. So, like, that's the one thing they're waiting for to come see me play, I guess. But Totally. That's (laughs) that's incredible. It's it's the little things, you know? (laughs) Yeah. You know, I try to tell my parents that I... You know, helped create a, a musical genre called Easy Core, but you know, they don't care about that.
1: <laughs> no, that's yeah, yeah that d- that doesn't uh cash the checks, so,
2: so to speak, for them. <laughs> yeah, like, mom, I'm the John Lennon of EasyCore. like, think about it. But, <laughs> yeah, have you ever heard of pop punk and hardcore combining?
1: Well, that's that we got going on here.
2: <laughs> yeah, mom, yeah, let me show you this Finn McKenty video that you, you know. <laughs>
1: totally i'll show you the origins of it yeah um, the uh so as you started to you know have that first band experience like was daggermouth essentially like your first band or had you played stuff prior to that that you know never really like recorded or anything
0: uh they
2: were basically my first band i was i was in a band called the retreads for like two or three shows and they were a band i would see in the 90s at like uh the community center shows and stuff and they got back together they, and played some shows. So I joined that lineup. And uh, the reason I joined that is because it had the bass player and the drummer from the McCrackens. I don't know if you've ever remembered. No, I'm not familiar with them. Yeah, so they they had a split out with MXPX on a 7-inch. And uh, they, they, they toured Europe a little bit and stuff like that. And... Uh, they were on shredder records i don't know if you're like the same label that put out the first jawbreaker album and stuff so yeah i've heard of that label. yeah yeah so it was kind of cool to like join up with these like older dudes who who were you know have been around the block and everything and rob and sandy are such good good people i still talk to them all the time so yeah so i did that but then um you know, I kind of like I wanted to tour and they've already done all the touring and they're a little bit older and like, you know what I mean? They weren't going to drop their life to, you know, they had mortgages and stuff and they weren't really interested in going down the West Coast and playing all these like DIY shows. So, you know, when the chance for Daggermouth came around and I started that, I kind of dumped on them. So, yeah.
1: Right. Yeah.
2: So they were my first kind <laughs> of fan
1: right the first band that you got out there and you know toured and obviously put put music out there yeah when w- w- it seems to me too like just from you know, not only watching dagger mouth but just kind of you know having mutual friends like y- you seem like a pretty outgoing dude and a person that um you know generally speaking like gets along with most people um although you may rub certain people the wrong way i'm not speaking from experience or <laughs> but i'm just saying like you know so personality sometimes bump people out. Um, but ha, ha, was that kind of like always who you were as a person like pretty, you know, easygoing and jovial or was that something that you uh, I guess, you know, learned as you started to open up via wrestling and and punk and hardcore?
2: No, I've always been like kind of the loudmouth and the, you know, class clown and you know, all through high school I would always be in the drama program and you know, doing some school plays and stuff like that. I've always been, you know, I've never been a shy guy or anything. I'm always, you know, pretty pretty outgoing got it you're
1: always down to clown as they say
2: yeah which i which i i guess i get from my mom because like even you know she'll sit down in vegas and like see someone with colored hair and be like my son kenny plays in this band like you know my mom will talk to anyone and you know so i i probably get my outgoingness from her (laughs) sure sure
1: absolutely did you um since you toured previously with the you know indie wrestling circuit and then you know once you started to tour with uh daggermouth did you like that juxtaposition of i mean because touring with your independent wrestling stuff that's i mean usually maybe you're traveling with a few other people but it's more of a solitary thing whereas in a band you're traveling you know like a like a gang <laughs> did yeah. you uh did you find you know a a, a difference between those two or was it all kind of you know generally speaking something that you enjoyed
2: i i enjoy both but like with pro wrestling usually it's just you know a weekend you you know you fly in and you know you fly in or you drive with a bunch of people to a spot you do your show you know hopefully you get a hotel you know and then you turn around and drive back home for monday right whereas with the band it's you know when you're on the road it's every night of the week like I think the longest dagger mouth tour we did was four months straight. Right. Point. And uh yeah, so it's definitely a lot harder and a lot more intensive, you know, in my opinion, doing the band thing, right? You're you're kind of you know, with wrestling, you always knew you'd be back on like Sunday in order to get to like your day job, whereas with 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 the music, it's you know, you're out on the road and you're kind of just like like you're almost homeless in a way like, you you know, you have a vehicle and you put gas in it and all that stuff. But essentially, you're living like a homeless person.
1: <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. You're just living yeah. out of a transient lifestyle of just, yeah, I got my suitcase and, you know, I, I have a place where I can put that suitcase down. But that's about it.
2: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I'd say like the music life is definitely a lot, a lot harder for sure. EvilGreed.net
1: is the place where you can go to visit bands' web stores. They are a solution for so many of your favorite bands and record labels. They're based in Berlin, Germany, but they... Ship stuff to the United States so fast it actually makes my head spin. I ordered a product from them, and in about seven days, it landed on my doorstep. I love it. And let me name some of the bands and record labels that they work with because it is a highly curated list. Like, honestly, they act like a record label, and that is what makes me enjoy what they do so much. Like, they work with bands like One Step Closer lingua ignata they work with sun blood incantation nails and they come out with new cool merch from them all the time and then on top of it they also work with really really cool record labels like triple b and sergeant house trust me go to EvilGreed.net and use this promo code 100 words that gets you 10 off your entire order you will thank me because you will buy some shirts buy some hoodies buy some vinyl and it will be shipped to you safe and sound and maybe you could throw in some gifts there for your family and friends if they're into cool stuff because, you know, not everybody is going to enjoy a sun custom embroidered bomber jacket. And no joke, that's what they have. At evilgreed.net, buy some stuff for you, buy some stuff for your cool friends, and use the promo code 100Words. Thank you very much, EvilGreed.
0: Once you started to get out there
1: with Daggermouth and you know put out a demo and play some local shows and you know start to record records and everything like that, did uh h- how was the business aspect of it like you know working with labels and trying to figure out you know what to do, like, how much we should charge for our shirts and that sort of stuff? Did you like the business aspects of it or was that something that you tried to kind of stay away from?
2: No, I, I like the business end of it, it's always like. I I don't know. I guess I like kind of being in control and knowing where things are going and whatnot. And it always just falls on my, on my lap. Like, you know, if I do something, I want it to be as big as I can. And it always just seems like I'm kind of the guy that is organized enough to, you know, like, uh, you know, not every member of the band wants to stay up late sending out emails. And I was the same way with pro wrestling, right? I would, You know, I'd scour message boards trying to find the emails. I remember finding, like, Takamichi Noku's email and a message board and starting to write him to try to get brought over to Russell in Japan for his company and stuff like that. And, you know, so I'm always the guy that kind of, I, I actually enjoy that kind of organization and tour managing and stuff like that. Like, even this little run, Rest Easy, just got off of, you know, I was the guy that, like, booked all the hotel rooms and, planned out which time we're leaving and this and that so yeah I don't I don't mind the you know the business end of it like dealing with labels is a bit of a hassle just because you know mo, mo, I don't know and I don't know about your experience but most of my experiences is uh most people that run a label should be dragged into an alley and beat with a bat but you know
1: <laughs> it, I mean there are people I I think to, to be fair, I mean, only because like I, I worked at labels, but at the same time I did not start any of them. I do think that most people, especially that come from the punk and hardcore world and, you know, are, are very like, they're just enamored with the idea of like, I want to support bands. I want to put out records and stuff Their Their vision isn't to be like, Oh man, I can't wait to be a boss and hire a staff. Like, and then all of a sudden once that comes into play, it's like, what the hell is like, what do you mean I got to send out mail order on time? I'm just going to put out this record. It's like that, that's where it starts to your point of where people, you know, maybe not the bat in the alleyway, but you know, need a, a, a stiff slap to the face.
2: Yeah, for sure. Like, you know, I, I haven't dealt with a ton of labels like, uh, you know, Like mostly when when I speak of my anger, it's mostly directed towards State of Mind records and Dagger. Sure, fair, fair, fair.
1: (laughs) And and that's, I mean, that was definitely of an era where the intentions may have been right and pure for so many people, but I I do think that they're, you know, especially once there is a, it feels like an insurmountable task. That's when you know things really fall apart and it doesn't add up
2: yeah and i think like not to say we got too big for them right off the bat or anything but like maybe that's stupid of me to say but uh i i definitely think they weren't organized enough and all that because i think i you know turf wars i think did pretty good and you right. know i just wish uh you know i really wish dagermouth got to put a third album out on on a different label i think it would have been a big big difference
1: Yeah. Oh, for sure. I I definitely think that there was that. uh, There was not only that upward trajectory, but just the idea that you could be working with a label that had an infrastructure to be able to not only promote, but obviously distribute your records. And I know those sounds so. so Both those tasks sounds relatively simple, but if you don't have a system built up, you're never going to be able to achieve that.
2: Yeah. For sure.
1: Yeah. And with uh, with the idea of Dagger Mouth, and as you were experiencing, you know touring and playing shows and everything like that when did you feel like i guess people were paying attention to what you were doing and how did you i mean like you mentioned previously you were always comfortable you know kind of whatever being the class clown and stuff like that did you ever feel uncomfortable with the attention that you were getting in the band of just like oh my gosh like you know people want to talk to me after the shows and all that sort of stuff
2: no like i've always been pretty you know proud and stoked and honored when someone you know is into the band and wants to talk after and stuff and you know like like playing the shows that we played you know in daggermouth you're mostly playing to like peers and you know like kids in the hardcore scene and stuff anyways right so right you know like you know s- some of my best buds now have been like people that i met just being daggermouth fans you know, and they're still super supportive of anything I put out these days, which is great.
1: Yeah, right. Like,
2: that's kind of how like Rest Easy got on uh Mutant League Records. The guy was just a Daggermouth fan and he ended up writing being like, Oh, I heard you were in Daggermouth, got a new band. Can you send me something? And that's how that all went down. So yeah, yeah. I, I can't really like hate on anyone for wanting to talk or, you know, liking my band. It stokes me out. Sure. No, that's
1: cool. Yeah. And especially too, like I think once you are, I mean, like, you were saying your age earlier, I mean, I, I also am 42. And just the idea that like, as you get older, it, it takes more intentionality in your life in general to do stuff. And especially the idea of staying connected to punk and hardcore and wanting to play in a band like that takes effort in ways that it didn't take effort when you were, you know, 21, and you had all the time in the world or whatever.
2: Yeah, I like even even now looking back, like I can't believe some of the time I invested into. Like Daggermouth used to practice at midnight till two in the morning, like four nights a w- or yeah, four nights a week we would practice, and that's ridiculous now because like nowadays with Rest Easy, you know we have a show coming up. Our drummer lives out of town, you know. Hopefully he flies in a day early and can do the practice. You know we can run a run the set, but if not, like. I don't know, I just sit in my room and play to the, you know, I have like one of them line six pods and I hook the, you know, the computer up to it and just run the set list through that way. You know what I mean? So, yeah, it's definitely, you know, harder to invest all the time into going out to shows and all that stuff as you get older. But, you know, I still I still try to do it as much as I can.
1: Right. You're still connected to it. and I think that's what makes it I mean, especially like getting together with people to play in a band, no matter how serious or unserious it is from a touring perspective, just that, that simple act is, you know, more than most people can muster up because they're like, Oh, I'm so tired from my job or whatever.
2: Yeah, for sure.
1: And, uh, with the, you know, the, the dissolution of Daggermouth. And then once you, um, you know, you reunited and play those shows back in like, what was it? 2017, 2018, roughly, I think. Yeah, I
2: think, 2017 2018
1: yeah that around yeah right. and was the um was you playing those shows um you know cathartic interesting like what sort of emotions were you going through just because i mean i know that the band like Daggermouth, kind of like petered out just because of a lot of different you know internal and external circumstances was it cool to kind of put a cap on it at the end of it or was it just kind of like oh this is a fun experience i'll, I'll say yes to it
2: uh yeah, I really wanted to like have a happy ending with that band. And um, you know, I kind of looking back, I really wish because we did the one reunion show and then we played Pooza Fest in Montreal.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And I kind of wish we left it at that, but then we uh, you know, we went on, we recorded an EP that didn't end up getting any vocals put on it. And so that's just sitting out there and then, yeah, it was kind of the same thing, like, uh, this, you know, same members as before, just kind of like, you know, just, just lost interest and petered out. And it was kind of like, ah, so I, I, I definitely don't feel fulfilled how, how the end of that was. And also too, like we did that reunion and we didn't have Nick singing, like Stu went and sang Mm -hmm. who was, who was Stu was the other guitar player. So you know, it it would have been nice to have Nick involved, and he just didn't want to do it for whatever reasons. Like, you know, I can't blame him. I'm I'm also a dude that holds grudges stupidly, like very stupidly. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I I can't blame him. I if we were to ever do something else again, I would want Nick to definitely be involved in it. And I still hope that one day we could, you know, do uh, you know, one last show or something with Nick singing. It would it would be great to. You know, I saw a bunch of kids recently on Twitter kind of throw our name out for ah, oh, you should get Dagger Mouth for Furnace Fest next year or something like it would be rad to do, you know, Furnace Fest and like a punk rock holiday or something like that over in Europe and call it quits on a high note or something. You know what I mean, as opposed to just having something that's still unfulfilled and still people holding bitter grudges and stuff like that.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, especially too, where it's, I I think most bands that break up are, they're, they're met with usually external circumstances that, you know, start to dissolve the band, whether it's their relationships or just like, oh, this is too hard. I can't keep this up. And so, yeah, for you to have some semblance of closure that is, you know, I mean, sometimes that's hard for bands to accomplish, but, you know, as long as you still have that desire, like something will probably come around.
2: Yeah, I hope so. Like I have I haven't talked to Nick in man a million, million years now. Like probably last time I talked to him was probably oh nine or two thousand ten or something like that. And you know, it's been a while and he's now living in LA doing doing his thing and he works in I think he works in film or something like that, but yeah, and other members, you know, like Jared who played bass on Turf Wars, keeps in touch with him pretty good and stuff like that. So who knows? Never never want to say never, but you know Everyone has to want to do it and stuff like that. But yeah, yeah, I really hope one day we can, you know, just have that one last show, you know, make it special and just finally call it. Right, right. Yeah.
1: And like you mentioned with, um, you know, the formation of Rest Easy and you guys all, you know, take it as serious as you can in regards to getting out there and the, you know, playing shows and logistics, but you've been able to do a lot for, you know, how spread apart uh you know most of you are i mean like you mentioned you know i know uh jimmy the drummer uh when he lived down here i met him and became friends with him and i know he lives in
2: edmonton and that's clearly not close to you guys um he lives in fort mcmurray now which is even like that's like uh, another four or five <laughs> hours south or no four or five hours north of edmonton
1: oh my gosh that's even further out there crazy yeah, so
2: now to Now to do shows, there's an airport in Fort McMurray, but it's mostly like, that's where like a lot of oil workers and fucking the rig pigs all work up in Fort Max. So it's, there's an airport, but it's, it's pretty pricey. So like, even for Jimmy to do shows with us, he has to drive four hours to Edmonton, hop on a plane, fly out, you know, sometimes he lands, goes straight to jam and then, you know, does the show and he's back on a plane at like six in the morning on, on a Sunday. So yeah, we're nothing's ever easy in my life,
1: <laughs> <laughs> right? Um, but I, I guess what, um, personally pushes you to you know get out there and play shows beyond is it just as simple as like I just like to play shows, so I want to do that and create opportunities for myself.
2: Yeah, I've, I've, it's, it's not with me, and maybe it's a bad way to look at things, you know, like you you know some I wish I could just be one of those dudes that practices guitar and is happy playing like a couple local shows a year and stuff like that but you know whenever I have a band I always want it to try to be as big as it can be you know and you know even being 42 years old maybe that's a stupid thought but yeah I'd, I like traveling the world and I like seeing the world and if I could do that for a, as cheap as I can or for free I'm going to keep doing it
1: <laughs> I <laughs> I do I identify with that just because I, I I think it's it's interesting when you have this idea that especially when you've been given opportunities to be like, Oh yes, I've been able to, you know, tour here and go there based off of either your wrestling or, or band experience. Once you've kind of tasted that, you're just like, wait a minute, like I can do that again? <laughs> like, why why not try to do that? And like you said, just push it as far as you can within reason.
2: Yeah, totally. And, you know, we got a good you know, Nate from the labels really behind us and everything and stuff and you know, the new albums coming out and I think it I, I think people really like it. And yeah, like uh you know, I'd I'd love to you know, I love being on the road. I love like hanging out with dudes. I love sleeping in a hotel room bed and 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 just yeah, seeing seeing the world and having fun and, you know, doing that all over the place. So hopefully hopefully I keep pulling that stunt off for another few more years. <laughs> right, right
1: what's your uh, interaction with uh, wrestling at this point? Like, do you, uh, do you just kind of like dip in and out when it makes sense? Do you, are you pursuing it actively? Um, What's the,
2: what's the vibe there? Uh, I was, once that dagger mouth reunion started, I kind of put wrestling on the back burner. And then of course, like the pandemic hit and everything else. And I'm not going to lie. I'm pretty out of shape right now, just from, you know, like hell, I just did like an August long tour in Europe with the McKenzie's so you know, sure. <laughs> I definitely had a few beers every night and some schnitzel every day, and uh, you know, so I'm I'm pretty out of shape. And you know, at least the wrestling scene in Vancouver, like out in Vancouver, when I got out of it, there was a lot of like drama happening, and then right before the pandemic, a couple promoters got called out on the on the Me Too thing, and you know which was in my opinion deserved their fucking pieces of shit so you know l- there was just a lot of drama happening and stuff and then yeah the pandemic hit and I was just like you know I'm 40 years old at that time I'm like you know I I I gave it a good honest try you know like I I've I've done tours of Japan I've done tours of Korea I've I've you know put it this way like WWE or AEW ain't going to come knocking on 42-year-old Kenny Lush's door no matter what. You know what I mean? So, you know, it was just realistic. Like, do I want to, do I just want to be like the local wrestler that just hangs around the local scene that's taking a spot up from some young kid? You know what I mean? Or, mm-hmm. you know, I and I've never wanted to do that. Like, I've always made fun of those guys. Like, look at this, like, 50-year-old loser hanging around talking about the good old days and trying to tell me how to wrestle and like, you know, back in my day, a headlock was all you need to do. And it's like, yeah, back in your day was super fucking boring, dude. Like, <laughs> you know, right, so. Right. yeah. So I, I've just taken some time off. I would like, there's a bunch of new companies opening up in, in Vancouver right now. And, you know, it, it would be fun to, you know, do another match or two, but it would have to be the right circumstances. And, all that, but first things first, I gotta get my ass back in shape before I do any of that. <laughs> right. Totally.
1: And it just the and I, I like that idea too, because I, I think that there does get that weird old man on the porch energy, especially with people. Cause I mean, clearly like punk and hardcore is a young person's game in regards to oh, I'm gonna two or three hundred days out of the year and you know, just the the rigors that it does to not only your body, but your mind, et cetera, et cetera. But it doesn't mean that you can't take up space. Like obviously, you know, you're doing with rest easy where it's like, yeah, we can still be putting out, you know, music and touring and do all this stuff. But like, we're just going to approach it a little bit differently than you are. But that doesn't mean that it's, you know, better or worse. It means just like, we have to be economical about our time as opposed to, you know, just touring for touring's sake.
2: Yeah. Like absolutely. As you get older, at least in my opinion, you know, like, like Daggermouth we'd be like, okay, let's, you know, like, we didn't care, we just hop on the road and I'd book us the longest tours possible. And, you know, and nowadays, it's like, well, you know, we could fly in and do California for a weekend, you know, which is like something we we're hoping to do in the new year, you know, do like. Friday in the Bay Area and Saturday LA and Sunday San Diego or something like that and then fly home. But back in my, you know, back in the Daggermouth days, we'd be like, oh, look at those weekend warriors. Like, you got to hit the road. Like, you know, we would do sometimes we do two weeks worth of shows just going to LA and back. It was crazy. (laughs) Like, yeah, yeah, which is like, it's great. Like playing Longview, Washington, like middle of nowhere, but fuck nowhere, Washington that's how i met like josh and ty from broadway calls you know because that's their town and they would do our shows and so you know and they're still some of my best buds and so you know you do meet a lot of great people but yeah as you get older it's like ah do you really you know like unless i'm unless i'm a support slot opening for someone like i can't ever see us getting to like albuquerque new mexico or something you know what i mean (laughs) Right. I'm sorry, New Mexico. I i, I really love playing it and dagger about days but yeah, it's just so far. Right. <laughs> and I also
1: think just the idea that once bands started to like literally be able to fly out, where it's like, okay, we're covering our plane flights from whatever we're getting paid from these shows. And like, that's fine. Just the idea of like flying from one coast to another. I remember when bands started to do that in the, you know, sort of mid 2000s. It was like, wait, you could do that? <laughs> it's just like, wait,
2: that's an option yeah and I think like I wish I would have thought a little smarter when Daggermouth was around because you know I think part of the reason which led to the breakup is we just toured so much and so much and part of that was because you know we would see set your goals getting on all these you know fucking rad tours and stuff and we're like oh man we just gotta like tour as much as they do and you know we'll start getting offered the, the the support slots and things will kick off and you know, I remember the tour we kind of broke up on. We were going down the West Coast to hook up with Comeback Kid, and we were going to the East Coast with them, and then from there, you know, go go back across Canada, and then come come across again, and then fly to Europe, which you know, and we ended up breaking up four dates into that tour or whatever. And part of me is just like, man, if we had Europe on the on the go, like. We should have just stayed home and worked and then just flew from Vancouver, but I thought like it would be better to fly from Toronto out to Europe for some reason, so we had a tour out there and none of it made any sense looking back on it, but Right. All it takes is like
1: one band to do something that's like a good idea. And then all of a sudden it proliferates of just like, Oh, Hey, you guys can do this and make your lives easier. It's like, Oh yeah. Like we don't need to end tour on the opposite side of the country where we live. Like there's probably better ways of doing that. But you know, when you're young and dumb, you have no idea.
2: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, and, and especially in those days in that like crazy MySpace mid 2000s era, like, like you just had to look like you were busy all the time. And, and, you know, nowadays I think you can kind of accomplish that more just by posting more on Instagram or something like that. But like, like rest easy just did. uh, We, I got back yesterday. We did Friday, Toronto, Saturday, Montreal and Sunday in Ottawa. And, you know, we didn't make enough to recoup our plane flights, but we made enough to like pay off the van rental and the gas and, you know, we each got hotel rooms every night because we're old now and I refuse to share a bed with a dude. And uh, not that there's anything wrong with that, but, you know, just in my... Yeah, you
1: would, you need <laughs> your own space. I get it. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
2: Like, you know, I don't want to be sitting beside Dana, you know, 42 years old and him farting in his sleep and shit like that. So, you know, it's, it's... You know, we each got two hotel rooms. So we were able to recoup all that minus the flights. And my flight out to Toronto was like 160 bucks, you know? So... You know, whereas it would have taken two weeks or a week and a half to, to, I would have missed a two weeks worth of work to make it out to Toronto touring. Whereas like, you know, like half a day's pay paid for a flight for me. So, you know, yeah, I think like the, yeah, things have just kind of changed and you can be smarter now with where you pick your, pick your slots now.
1: Yeah, absolutely. What's the saying of, you know, work uh, smarter, not harder. It's. (laughs) definitely yeah. pays itself and especially too with your approach of i just want to do this to collect experiences and that's what i think is important about where what you want to do with you know your music and the band that you're playing currently
2: yeah for sure yeah they call it a. Uh, uh you say pick your experiences they they say uh in the pro wrestling world you say less is more
1: right right yeah, yeah that, that <laughs> makes sense that makes sense yeah um the last thing i want to hit on was um the the idea of you know devoting yourself as you have to you know just the 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 unconventional path in life where it's like i am going to you know wrestle for a while i'm going to play in bands and like you know hold jobs that will sustain me from a living perspective but i'm not going to you know really pursue the career and you know do the things that uh, people are supposed to do um ha- has it been your experience where it's just been like there was no other i guess plan b like where it's like i'm gonna do this regardless and i'll figure out whatever i need to do to you know make a living
2: yeah like i've been pretty lucky things just kind of fall in my lap and uh you know things like even even um before right before the pandemic hit my experiences in pro wrestling led me to doing some stunt work for tv and movies i'm on uh if you want to see me in a little bit part, there's a movie. It's a WWE movie and it's on Netflix. It's called the main event and okay. it's a kid. It's a kid's movie. So if you have kids, put it on. It's, it's pretty sweet. So I'm in that movie. And yeah, things I've always just kind of, you know, I don't really have a plan as far as like life and stuff. And a lot of my goals are pretty silly. But yeah, everything kind of falls together. Like last year. I was working a construction job and quit slash got fired off that and turned around and applied. My buddy said, "Oh, you should apply, you know where I work." And it's uh, so I applied there and got this job and I really like it and I'm working now in uh, the downtown east side. I'm a mental well, uh, mental health worker. So you know, I work at like injection sites and it's pretty crazy work and not everyone I understand can tolerate it, but I really enjoy it like being right down there in the craziness of it all and, you know, meeting people from all sorts of walks of life and just trying to help them out and stuff like that. So, you know, I've, I've been doing that for almost a year now and then yeah, I don't, you know, my goals change throughout life, but they're always something crazy. Like my, uh, (sighs) during during the pandemic, my wife, her mom was born in Portugal so she went through all the hoops and got her Portuguese citizenship. And we were we were actually in Portugal in September and opened up a bank account. and Because Vancouver is way too expensive to live. And, you know, eventually I want to buy a place. So now my new weird goal is to buy an apartment in Portugal. But everyone thinks it's weird. But, you know, I'll always keep doing weird shit. <laughs>
1: well, yeah. And plus, that's, that's your life. That's what you want to do. It's like... Yeah. It, yeah, it's it's weird, but it's also like there's a reason for it. It's not like I just threw a dart on the map and was like, I'm gonna buy a thing p- <laughs> in Portugal. It's like, no, there's a reason. Like
2: follow along. Yeah, yeah. There's you know, like it's still super affordable over there and everything. And yeah, right. Vancouver is just getting so crazy with rent and you know all that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm sure it's the same. Where you live, like Orange County or LA or yep yep
1: orange county yeah i know i mean it's 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 been like that for quite some time in orange county but just other you know there's so many places obviously across the united states are just you know unattainable for people to be able to live and it's like you just have to move out even further into either the suburbs or just like more remote areas and be like well you know i'm fine driving four hours to go to a show or whatever this is okay
2: yeah so you know
1: yeah the the struggle is real yeah sweet sweet conversation with a sweet sweet man he's very tall as well from what i uh my internet sleuthing and what i remember about seeing Dackermouth play way back in the day but uh thank you very much to kenny for hanging out with me and letting me uh just you know comb his brain for all of his information (laughs) and also thank you to nate at mutant league records because i enjoy his record label and i really enjoy um yeah just what he does and he supports the show and i very much appreciate that So next week, I, of course, have another awesome conversation to bring to you and talk about diversity. You know, we got a pop punk slash hardcore band one week, and then the next week, we got a doom metal sludge band, and that is Bobby Ferry from the band 16. If you've not messed around with 16, I highly encourage you to do that. If you like all things heavy and stoner rock, you have to check out Sixteen, who just released a new record on Relapse. And uh, yeah, I, I, I love the band. I've enjoyed the band for quite some time. And Bobby Ferry is an interesting person just because, I mean, Sixteen exists in this awesome world where they don't tour a ton, play occasionally, put out records occasionally, and it's very comfortable for them to do so. And we get new music every so often, and everybody wins. So had to have on Bobby because he's also from the Orange County punk and hardcore scene. Definitely went to a lot of the uh, the earlier gigs in the Orange County area, so had to pick his brain. But Bobby Ferry from 16 is on the show next week. And until then, please be safe, everybody. The show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Trust me in saying that no matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all of the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through.